I would like to scan all of you in this room, one at a time. Scanners. Ten seconds, the pain begins. Fifteen seconds, you can't breathe. Twenty seconds, you pray it will end, and it will. Experience the terrifying power of scanners. Their thoughts can kill. Certificate X, showing in the West End from next Thursday and all over London from May 3rd. Yeah, we're here. We're here, live to take Washington from Washington D.C. Uh, I'm here with my good friend Dave. Uh, this is kind of be kind of an experiment, you know. Yes. We've kind of talked about the the sidecast thing, where Dion and I are going to be doing some things on the side. Yes, air quotes. All right, <laughs> and, totally. Uh, uh, kind of a, as supplemental material to our regular Saturday Night Movie Sleepover cast. Now, typically, the idea for, uh, like, Dave and I recorded one already. I don't know if it's up. I don't know how we're going to post them. Um, so I don't know if this will come first or that will come first. But we'll see uh, what happens. Typically, the idea was to not do a typical Saturday Night Movie Sleepover, since Dion's not here. But... Uh, Dave and I, literally, it's now 1 o'clock in the morning on a, on a Sunday night, a Sunday night Sunday, sleep. Right. Sunday, Sunday night, night sleepover. <laughs> for the, let's say there was not a, a school day planned. It was a holiday, like as tomorrow is, yeah. Labor Day. So Yeah, so that gives you a little indication yes. as to when we're recording yes. this. Um, unlike a middle school sleepover, there's been some beer involved. A little bit. <laughs> so... <A> little bit. <laughs> So uh, everybody's going to have to excuse uh, some slurring, <laughs> some slurring, and, and yes. some possible drunk rambling. But mm. uh, we're taking the Sunday night sleepover to a whole new dimension. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And like I said, normally the plan was not to do a typical Saturday night movie sleepover, which, as you might know if you're a listener, regular listener, the format is we watch a movie and then we talk about that movie. Um, and so this was completely unplanned, impromptu. Dave and I just watched an absolute classic, a favorite of ours, and something that I think I would agree that we would both agree is a as a set as a sleepover classic. Yes. And of course, we're talking about 1985's Silver Bullet, which was based on a novelette, as they say in the credits. Called Cycle of the Wolf by Steve, by Stephen King. Cycle of the Werewolf by Stephen King, and uh, and he also wrote the screenplay. Yes, and I do have to point out that uh, Jay Blake was kind enough to send me a book recently of not only the uh, n- the novelette but also the original screenplay written by Stephen King, which is quite honestly amazing, because it's not exactly the film that we just watched. In fact, it's more. It, it, there's a lot more going on in it that's, that's kind of incredible. Um, but I guess we'll get into that. <laughs> uh, it, it has the Stephen King touch, even more so 
than what made made it to the final uh, cut of the film. Uh, now the novelette or novella, as some people will say. Um, it's my understanding. I mean, I don't know. You're more of a Stephen King fan overall than I am in terms yes. of you're a much bigger well, reader of it. Um, but it started out as like a calendar. Do you know if that's, that's true? That's correct. Absolutely. And I don't remember the gentleman's name, but uh, there was a... Apparently, it was one of these conventions that Stephen King went to, a writer's convention. It's really actually very interesting. He went to this writer's convention in New England, and he was sort of just coming into like big money. So he went to this convention with a lot of people that he had admired for years um, and that he looked up to who were not, uh, I guess you could say, as financially secure as he was and what he, and he, they weren't making the kind of money that he was making. So there is, you know, a little bit of a guilt from what I read of Stephen King going to this thing and, and sitting around uh, authors that he really respected that were not pulling in the kind of cash he was pulling in at this time. And he expected that they were going to be rude to him, but in fact they treated him really kindly and they were happy that he was there. But at, the, at that convention, and I don't remember his name, someone approached him and said, I have this idea to do this calendar thing and would you like to be a part of it? And he, apparently he got drunk with the guy yeah <laughs> so you know we can all identify with this or i can certainly identify with it whereas he drank more the idea became more and more enticing to him and when he left suddenly this thing was on like the itinerary of things that he had to do but he was in the middle of writing all these other things and look i'm not like an expert on stephen king but this, uh, this thing kind of hung over his head and was like it kept coming back to him and like I, I, I have to get back to this thing. And eventually uh, he came upon not so much the original idea of what he wanted, what this man wanted him to do, which is write really quick thing about each month. Yeah. Uh, you know, some something that they could put in a calendar, like a really quick thing, and, uh, you know, then the guy would do an illustration or whatever. But yeah. in fact, he, you know, I can do this, but it's going to be longer than what yeah, he yeah. wanted, which is what he ended up doing with, with Cycle of the Werewolf. And I think, was it Bill Wrightson or Bernie something? Wrightson. Oh, Bernie Wrightson. Bernie yeah. Wrightson was the illustrator. And actually, the book that you sent me, uh, the illustrations are really, like, beautiful. Yeah, Bernie Wrightson and, is and, wow. kind of a genius... Uh, he's a legendary comic book artist. He uh, did a lot of like the eerie and creepy comics. Um, also, he did a, he done a run on, uh, as on Batman. Um, there's a beautiful illustrated version of Frankenstein, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, where he did the illustrations, and they're absolutely beautiful. Um, he kind of has a touch. And is best known for having like a darker sensibility with his art, but it's very, uh, a very, uh, a very beautiful artist. I mean, um, I think he also is. He had a great run on, I, th I believe, Swamp Thing, the comic book. Oh wow! Um, that he's like kind of really well known for. He's a, he's a fantastic. He's I mean he's a legend in the comic book artist. Oh, you know. see, I didn't know. I didn't know that. And in fact, well. The book that you sent me, it has sort of um, like one full color 
uh, illustration, and then at the end, which I really like, at the end of each chapter, there's like a black and white sort of zoom in on certain things. But it, it definitely reminds... It, it's like... I mean, I don't want to say old school, but it reminds me of like what illustrators would have done. Uh, I don't know why I'm saying this, but I remember my dad had this like Sherlock Holmes collection where they had these like lithiographs. Yeah, yeah. Where it's always like... I don't know if that's how you say it, but there was one big illustration at the end they would have like a little I think that's kind of how I believe that that's kind of how the 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 Frankenstein that he did okay. is it's like you know it's not like a comic book although he may have done a comic book of Frankenstein but I think he's best known for this like where it was like almost like etchings or something okay. that he did um, as you as you go through the okay. book, maybe maybe per chapter or something. I've never actually seen that. I've only seen the images. I've never seen the actual book, so I don't remember. I don't know how it's formatted in terms of the Frankenstein, but I think it's probably very similar to that. Okay, well, these are really I really enjoy them. I mean, I like them a lot, and I think that's why this. And I don't know his name, but wanted uh, the marriage between you know the king and this guy, yeah. and he was really pushing for that, and so. King, uh, finally, you know, King, part of the reason I like Stephen King is that he's just like, he's really upfront and sort of like, you sort of feel this like humanness with him in terms of, look, the guy had his demons and he drank a lot and like, you know, he would schluff off things because he, you know, was like, he's a normal guy, you know, so the this idea was sort of like, I have to do this, I have to do this, and he kept kind of putting off this guy's phone calls, but then he had this idea, he went to do the longer novella, and I don't, and this I don't know exactly, although they do, like when, uh, and I'd never say this guy's name correctly, but Dino... De Laurentiis. Laurentiis. Yeah, Dino De Laurentiis is the producer. Okay, he's the producer of Silver Bullet. He approached King and said we'd like to turn this into a movie yeah. and, you know, we're excited about this. And, and I, as far as I understand that Stephen King wrote the screenplay and it's, I don't mean to denigrate on Stephen King, but there's parts of it that are like absolutely hilarious. I mean, like, I guess, well, it's up to you, but we could just we, go into that. Like yeah. the opening scene alone is like, I mean, it made me laugh like right out loud. Cause it was like, I love Stephen King and, you know, and I'm going to bring my brother up here, Steve. Like, he kind of put it the best. It was like, uh, my brother said that Stephen King, Stephen King's sensibilities sometimes are like, I'm like a 12-year-old, and this is, I want to see this kind of awesomeness, like, on the movie screen. And if you were, like, a 12-year-old, like, just that kind of, like, innocent, like, child, childish kind of, like, you know fantasy or what you would want to see like in terms of a werewolf movie and what you would think would be like cool or something and because the guy you know he did like he was a you know his references were kind of like comic books and uh, you know eg comics see i'm not like ec comics comics yeah and that kind of thing. that's where like you know the idea for like creep show kind of came out exactly so it's that kind of a thing so in the first scene the man is like wandering, you know, he comes up on the train tracks and he's singing about Rheingold beer, Yeah. which when I saw the film, it's like, you know, my brother and I joked about it. I was like, oh, that's total Stephen King. He's singing about beer. I mean, <laughs> yeah, Stephen yeah. King seems to like, he's a, 
you know, because he drank a lot of beer and like he loves beer. Or he hey, did that. You like beer, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's like this man is singing the Rheingold theme song because probably King was drinking Rheingold beer while I was watching this. And like, and so when you watch the movie, he's, it's this love of, you know, it's this love towards beer and this guy gets killed. But in the screenplay, and I don't know, you know, where you want to go with this, but it's absolutely hilarious. And I couldn't believe it when I was reading it that the werewolf, when he shows up, in the movie, just decapitates the guy. Yeah, yeah. But in the screenplay that King wrote, the werewolf not only decapitates the guy, but then celebrates by drinking a (laughs) Rheingold beer and then singing the theme song in, like, a guttural werewolf voice, like, or whatever he's doing, and, like, the werewolf... It's hilarious. I mean, it's just... And honestly, like, had they done that with the film... I'm not sure what kind of a movie it would have been. It might have gone right into the realm of comedy. Yeah, yeah. You know, which I think the director probably at some point was like, we we can't do this, you know. But anyway. Okay, so as you mentioned, the film uh, produced by Dino De Laurentiis, um, it's directed by Daniel Adias, A-T-T-I-A-S, who's... Some other credits include some episodes of Northern Exposure. Wow. 21 Jump Street. See? Yeah. It all comes, it's a circular, it's synergy. It <laughs> Sled, all comes around. Sled, see, Dave says that because we share a love for the original <laughs> series, 21 Jump Street. The, the series Sledgehammer, do you remember that? Never. No. It was like a weird sitcom in the 80s. That was like a comedy version of like Dirty Harry. It was like a parody wow. of like Dirty Harry. Wow. Um, some Miami Vice. Okay. Uh, a lot of television. A lot of television. Briscoe County Junior with wow, uh, Bruce Campbell. Classic. Synergy. Yeah, there you go. Um, look at this. Mostly television credits. But uh, right there, smack in 1985, we got uh, Silver Bullet. Starring, starring the late, great... Corey Haynes. And we should take a moment to kind of just lament the fact that, you know, we're both, I, I'm a, I mean, I'm going to put you in this, I, I don't know even why I'm qualifying this, we're both huge fans of Corey Haynes, and in fact, I mean, and I'll just say personally, like, I felt always a kinship to him, maybe because I grew up with him, but I also kind of like got him on some level, I feel, maybe even if I was just like, you know, putting, like, imagining things in my own head. But, you know, it's just, I don't know. Corey Haim, I mean, what can you say? It's like... A tragic story. Tragic. I mean, I'm sorry. I don't mean to even say I that. I mean, of but, course, you know. I mean, I don't know if, if there's any younger people that are listening that don't really know... We grew up with him. Uh, too much about Corey yeah. Haim. I mean, he... Uh, Lucas. Lucas. Was probably where he first best. kind of... I mean, I love that movie. And I think that's his best. I mean, I think that's his best, like, performance. And I think that was kind of like haunting him to some extent because uh you know he god he was so good in that movie yeah. and i think like as he got older it was like you know i don't know maybe there was a you know he was trying to run oh my god see i'm presupposing <laughs> a lot of stuff but i feel like you know he was a child actor yeah, yeah. and when he got older everybody was just like remember how good you were in this and this yeah, and this yeah. and then as he got older it was like Anna. well i mean yeah. you have lucas that we have we have this movie which i think he's really great in yeah yes you know around um, the same time uh yeah. and then you know eventually he ends up kind of they start teaming him up is maybe is the lost boys the first time he's in a movie with feldman i think it 
I mean, I want to say possibly. But I mean, in that movie, they're not, they're not like co-starring like they would in later pictures, it, but they're both in The Lost Boys right? by Joel Schumacher. And that's when they both like like exploded. Yeah. It was like, now they're both like superstars. Or and then License to Drive with Heather Graham. Yes. Classic. Classic. And then other movies, uh, Blown Away. I think that's Never the name. <laughs> I think Never that's the name that. of My it. My brother, yeah. With yeah. Nicole Eggert, yes. which is... You know, a very a type of sleepover, uh, a brand of sleepover movie we haven't ex- we haven't explored That's yet kind on of the like, show. You know, people are like guys are getting together sleepover movies to like k- 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 like yeah. get us a, a quick pee, like the soft, yeah, porn, exactly, like Which era is a, of sleepover very movies. Specific brand of sleepover movie <laughs> that I um, I remember like distinctly, and that was one of those. Yeah, movies Blown Away was, was like, definitely yes. in that category. Absolutely. Um, we also have the great Gary Buse. As Uncle Red, amazing, amazing delivers us. You know, yeah. I think unfortunately, I feel like Busey in recent years, or even not even recent years, but yeah, definitely in the last ten, fifteen, maybe even twenty years, is like is like a considered a joke. I think to this point, yeah. like a parody of something. Right. And um, I think a lot of people don't realize that, like in the nineties, he had a really bad car uh, motorcycle accident. Okay. And he actually got brain damage. And that's one of the reasons why he's kind of crazy now is because the part of his brain that I think like filters yes. is like is literally damaged. And so like he's just kind of like that's tra- you he's know what? out there. That's tragic. And he, I think he, I'm not sure this is uh, speculation. Allegedly, I, I believe I remember hearing that he had for a long time he had a, there was a, there was like, like a cocaine problem maybe in the eighties and stuff. I don't know. I this this is just recollections of stories. But I think he delivers a wonderful performance as Uncle Red in this yes. movie. Um, and I think you can when you watch this movie, I think you feel the um, connection. That especially the two kids had to him. Yeah. You know, and it's weird, and this might just be like supposition on my part, but when you see the scenes with uh, Uncle Red especially and the two kids, there is like a genuineness to it. Yeah. And I think I think you could safely say that there was probably some like kinship between the, the three of them. Oh, there's like certainly, a ke- there's certainly a, there's a chemistry for sure that... Um, I'm not sure you could fake with a kid yes. actor. That's that's how you know, I feel. Um, you know, we were we we were talking earlier today and even before um, uh, just about like how detrimental. And we don't have to talk about specific. any specific films, but how detrimental like a child performance can be for a movie, and how it's very easy for a child performer to be annoying. I mean, for lack of a better yes. term, yes. it's a really tough. It's a tough casting call, um, and obviously there are great performances by kids, and we're talking about this one. But it is. It's true. There are certain. There's sometimes a kid that's just not just it just doesn't work right. with kids. And I'd say, even though uh, you know Haim is not like super young in this, but he's still pretty little. I mean, yes. and but I think he really delivers it. I mean, it's funny though. When I watched it, when I was watching it this time, like his like Canadian accent comes out sometimes, and like his the girl that he likes, the blonde, has like a southern accent. So there's like this weird. <laughs> he says sorry a lot. <laughs> I'm sorry. What's his sister's name in it? Uh, Jane. Jane. Janie. 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't catch that, but yeah. But no. um, 
but ta- you know, the, you're talking about like this kind of like uh, uh, I forget the word you just used between the relationship between them and Red. I, I feel like that's the strength of this movie yeah. is that relationship. But there is like this. Uh, there's like a lot of heart lot in of this heart. movie. Yeah, it, it's really it's a beautiful story about a brother and a sister. Yes, and then Janie and Red too, but more about like this little brother and his uncle. <clears throat> yes, and it, it really is like this. Right, the father is very much like a not involved so much. I mean, it's funny that they really... (laughs) It's actually funny now that you're saying this. I didn't even think of this now, but the parents are never considered... Like, Haim and... Or Haim, Marty and Janie's parents are never considered confidants that they go to. And it's like they're... It's Uncle Red. In fact, Uncle Red sends them away, you know, when they want to actually confront the world. You'd think they would go to the parents, but yeah, it's very true. Like, they... Well, yeah, that's... Yeah. I, that it is, I, but like you said, I like you were saying with the the relationship, and like we're talking about, it, it's like there is there's this thing where they can trust Uncle Red, yeah. And as outlandish as the story is, even though initially Uncle Red kind of like you know doesn't buy it, it's like enough that like he'll entertain it for a second. Instead of like completely right. dismiss it, right? Um, it's possible that they, they're, they're, the outlandishness of Uncle Red is the reason they're going to Uncle Red for the outlandishness of what they actually yeah. have to tell. Could be, you know, could it's like, be. Like you know? he's this over the top yeah. uh, character, uh, very loud. He's an alcoholic. I mean, mm. we see through the movie that he's got some demons, but when he's with Marty, he's very loud. Jokes. Uh, stop. Ga- they're gambling with. Baseball oh card. And I'm sorry, I'm, I don't mean to cut you off, but that's like one of my favorite moments in that movie. I mean, I think, uh, you know, to be honest with you, there were a few times watching that movie, and I, I think, like, had I been alone watching this and, like, you know, six, seven beers in, yeah, yeah. I would have gotten to that scene and, like, the tears would have been, like, fro- flowing. I and I did not want to do, not that I don't, you know, I love you, Blake, but it's like, you know, I just, it's like embarrassing or whatever, sure, but sure. the. That scene, I mean, there's so many just profound levels of, like, regret and guilt that are going on that really, like, separate... I mean, that's, to me, what makes this movie something special because it's, you know, it could be any kind of a werewolf movie, but then they have this scene where it's, like, literally Uncle Red watching his nephew getting, you know, like, like he's taking the electric elevator thing up the stairs and, like... He's waiting until Marty like goes past the, you know, vision point or whatever you call line of yeah. sight, and then he's quickly like take, you know, yeah. the smile drops. He smiles like, as yeah. Marty's going up yeah. this little elevator. Yeah, he there's a smile on his face, and the minute they they can't see any, each other anymore, just there's, like the weight of of the, of, yeah. of the situation life. and life, life just like comes yeah. over his face. A beautiful, yeah. little, a beautiful piece of performance. Yeah. and then there's an exchange between. Uh, Uncle Red and their mother, where she's like reprimanding him for oh, not. She doesn't want him to drink in front of the kids or in front of Marty, and he's coming back at her, being like, "You know, you need to realize that Marty's more than just a uh, just a kid in a wheelchair." 
And she's like, well, you're not here to deal with the day-to-day stuff. And, you know, it's just this. And then she gives him, like, the, the final blow, which is, I don't want him to give up. Yes. And he's like, he's not going to give up. And she's like, well, he doesn't need you to show him how. It's and it's just like horrible. a gut punch. Yes, my God. Um, but I think we got a little bit of ahead of ourselves. Yes, yeah, sorry. We should talk a little bit. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Uh, that's a you know that's an incredible scene, but we should talk just slightly as we do uh, on Saturday Night Movie Sleepers on this special edition of Sunday Night Movie Sleepovers. We need to uh, <laughs> we need to just give a quick synopsis of the movie. So there's, okay. there's a small town, I believe it opens 1976. Harper's Mills is it or Harper's Mills? It opens up 1976. There's a full moon, um, and then in this small town, and it's this. Small town, kind of small town where everybody knows everybody. So basically, it's interesting. I never really thought put two and two together, um, but it opens on a full moon and it ends a full on a full moon. So it is like the month like, of October. Okay, it's like, a very Halloween thing. Yeah, October right? autumnal. Yeah, yeah. So um, small town. We have a family: uh, father, mother, Janie, older sister. Uh, Marty's little brother played by Hayden, which we're talking about. thing we didn't mention, and it kind of we alluded to in the last th- is that uh, Marty's in a wheelchair. Right. Which is kind of an important right. part of the story. Yes, the huge part of the <laughs> and, story. And uh, there's this massacre uh, in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And then there starts to be more, and there's like this, the, there's a maniac on the loose, whatever. There's these horrible, brutal murders happening within this small town. And so uh, the, the paranoia from the small town starts to take place. There's a lot of resentment towards the police about not doing enough. Uh, it takes until Marty's good friend, Brady, Brady gets killed. Uh, before the town decides to basically form a vigilante group. Private justice. <laughs> Private justice. Private justice. Um, so it's like this... Th- that's like this... That's setting the stage, basically, of this of this movie. And they fail. <laughs> Private justice is a big zero. It's a goose egg. And as the movie progresses, finally Marty is confronted with the werewolf. And that's when... Uh, you know, to this point, obviously, you know, nobody's thinking about it being some kind of, like, supernatural monster. And Marty wounds the werewolf by... He's the only one who kind of sees the werewolf and survives. Yeah. Right. And so then it becomes this, he tells Janie, they tell Uncle Red, and the story progresses from there. Now, as we were kind of talking about you know, the heart of this movie, uh, a part, an aspect of the movie that I like a lot and we talked about is like, there is this narration right, going on where it's an adult Janie reminiscing, reminiscing about this time. And the beautiful thing about the movie is, like we said, that relationship, Janie and Marty. Because we see like a very... Uh, I'd say stereotypical sibling relationship, especially one where she is the older sibling and he's handicapped. And he's so there's a, a bear. 
And so she has a lot of resentment towards him for that. And she's, you know, by her parents held responsible for him a lot. And we just see that. And then we see by the end, whatever, you know, problems they have when push comes to shove, she's the one that's there for him. And then by the end, you know, they've come together in this kind of relationship that was maybe strained and probably never would have been a real problem, but it becomes like a very strong relationship by the end of the movie. Yeah, I mean, at the very end, I mean, yeah, it's at the end of the movie, but not the beginning of the end, but she says, uh, you know, at the, at the very last moment, the line she says, as in the narration, as, yeah. you know, she says, I love you, Marty. Or well, she Mar- says that, Marty says, I love you, Jane. Yes, and then she says, I love, I love you, you too, Marty. And then the narration says, I, was n- I was, wasn't always able to say that, but I can say it now. And I think, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, again, water works. But <laughs> I know, you, you can go through your whole life with your family and you never say that to them. And there's something really embarrassing, I think, a lot of times for people uh, when they... Especially siblings, brothers yeah. and sisters. And I think kids in general. Kids, but you know, especially like her age. How right. old do you think she is in the character oh, as the character? I would say she's supposed to be... I mean, I would say she's supposed to be maybe 14, 15. Yeah, so she's like yeah. junior high right. age. Yeah, junior high Maybe age. just entering high school. Yes. And that's a time where I think for all of us it's like... You know, you you know, you don't yeah. want to like see your parents drop you off at the mall, right, right. <laughs> and you don't want to be like right saying I love you to your siblings or whatever. It's like yeah, but uh, but yeah, there's a, a, a really really good heart in that film, and uh, oh, absolutely, yeah. I think that's that's what I think sets this film apart from a lot of other horror movies, and especially I've always had this theory. I'm very big into. Uh, I'm a very always since I was very little, very big fan of werewolves. <laughs> like it's always been something that fascinated me. Like circa like '87, there was a show on Fox called Werewolf, and I just I don't know. Like it just captured my imagination in in a way like few things did. You know, so '87 we're talking about like I was like you know if it was '87, it's around that time. But I was like eight, nine, or whatever. I remember my mom would take me to the library and I would take out these books on werewolves and they'd be like they were like picture books that had like pictures of like you know like Lon Chaney Jr. and uh or like uh you know Michael Landon as like I was a teenage werewolf and then of course around that time you had Teen Wolf had come out and um American Werewolf in London was still not too far old at that point but I had always you know as I grew up I always kind of found the 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 miss the like the the legend and the movies of like werewolves interesting but I find that there aren't that many good werewolf movies I mean people often point at the howling as being a great werewolf movie and I love Joe Dante and I like the howling but uh the argument I've always made is like the Howling is a good movie, but you could really replace the werewolves with any kind of monster, and that movie would work. Yes, I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, like, and, and forgive me, I don't mean to go off. Like, if you feel like we're going like, too much in the weeds here, but since we're talking about, like, the mythos of the werewolf or yeah, whatever, yeah. I just, I feel like I should just, like, tell you this. I don't know if I ever told you this. Like, seriously, this is, like, this is, like, deep, deep yeah, stuff. Yeah. But... Um, I'm terrified of 
the idea of werewolves, and I think that my most... You ever have these nightmares that are so, like, evil and dark on some level that you almost just wait, you can't really, like, your mind doesn't really, like, you... I feel like that's part of the reason you have the nightmares. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I, I had a recurring dream as a child, and it always took place in, like, a... Like, kind of like a 70s-looking house. Yeah. Where, like, even then, I think my mind was geared towards, like, cinematic, like, representations of how (laughs) to, like, handle things. Sure. And so I remember this dream I would have was always a man in, like, a business suit, and he was sitting with his back to me, like, and it was on a leather couch, and the camera would kind of pan around, and I knew there was something, like, really evil going on with the guy where he would just be like quivering and it would kind of like pan around that couch and like he would like be transforming into a werewolf and I, I obviously I never got to the point where he finished the transformation because it was like too much I think for my brain to handle or something but and yeah I'm getting off on a tangent but I'm just saying that like this is the thing about werewolves that I think terrifies people and why they keep coming back to this like idea and the idea is that that man is constantly corralling like the monster inside and if you allow yourself to be like taken over by it it's the end of yourself and like other people and I think like the idea of the werewolf, and I think that's why it's so terrifying. And I think that's part of the reason they, that the reverend in this movie in Silver Bullet, he's like justifying it in his own mind of what he, like how bestial he's getting and killing these people. Yeah. He's, making he's, he's making excuses for himself. Yeah, that he's, using, he's doing yeah. God's work. He's doing God's work because like I really do feel that that legend of like the werewolf is just coming from this place of that we're all capable of doing like nightmarish things to each other. Yeah, yeah. And God help us if we do, because you're damned, but you know, that it is within us to do these things. And anyway, that's all I have to say about it. It's just like, it's a horrifying idea. Uh, I mean, totally. I mean, we could, you know, you could get into all kinds of, you know, like theory about, um, you know, basically horror as a genre is based, not entirely, but, Based, you know, you could definitely theorize that it, the genre on itself is based around fears, and there are universal fears and there are individual fears, and those individual fears are often talked about as being like phobias. Um, but when we talk about universal fears, there's like the fear of losing a loved one, right. the fear of, uh, you know. Death or right. um, a fear of like, as, as Carpenter is always, John Carpenter is always says, you know, like, you know, there's two kinds of fear. And I'm not sure I would agree that there's only two, but there's the fear of, you know, he says it's like as, as old as time, like the first humans are sitting by a fire and then there was the fear and they would tell stories that, that, that were either, you know, morality or, or like scary stories, maybe as warnings. And they would tell two kinds of stories. And in his opinion, like, things haven't changed. There's a story of, like, over there, like, outside in the darkness, the evil is out there. And the other kind of story is the evil's within. 
you know, it's within you, it's within you, exactly. and it's within me. Exactly. Uh, some of these universal fears, ones that I, the ones that I always tend to get drawn to in horror movies, and it can manifest itself in different ways, is like this fear of um, loss of identity. Yeah. And uh, got some late, late night uh, sirens going by, if you can hear that. Um, so we, we, so we, can, we can analyze that and say, um, you can actually put that model over many different kinds of horror movies. Invasion of the Body Snatchers is very much a paranoia movie, but also very much a loss of identity, losing yeah. yourself uh, through the, you know, through being, you know, like, uh, through the, through the pod experience or losing, you know, your loved ones that way. Zombies, you could also, you know, you could yes. also analyze fear of zombies. There's the fear of those zombies, but then there's the fear of becoming a zombie. Yes. Um, and the thing, another classic lose loss of identity, uh, again, wrapped with like this paranoia, uh, aspect and then I think we get into like that like the body and like metamorphosis body. horror of like yeah. John of like David Cronenberg's The Fly right. it's very like this transforming into something else and you can see it in The Fly which is a, a brilliant film one of my favorite films is uh, you know it's Brundle gives her the speech which I'll like I'll tear up <laughs> if I try to recite it where she's like he's like you can't come see me anymore and she's like why and he gives like he's like do you you know have you you insect know politics. yeah it's like he talks about insect politics and he's going off he's like well maybe I could become the first insect politician and he's like you ever see insects they're sort of like brutal and stuff and she's like I don't know what you're saying to me and he says I'm saying you can't come in here anymore yeah, because I'm gonna hurt you. because I'm gonna because I'll hurt you yeah and then he says i feel like i'm what's the line he says i feel like i'm a i feel like i'm a I'm, i wouldn't do it justice but something was like i yeah. feel like i'm a i'm a an, i'm an insect that dreamt that he was a man and loved oh. it oh my god <laughs> and like absolutely horrible and like tragic and, like and it's that and like he says it so eloquently in that but i feel like that is kind of what you're talking about it's like losing yourself to like this primal you know like you have to understand that yes we can say that we're humans and that whatever whatever your religious beliefs are we have a soul or we have intellect whatever however you want to uh however you want to look at it you can say that we're better than animal or better than beast but at the end of the day people are procreating for no reason (laughs) you know and we're attracted to others on purely like sexual, like primal ways. We're overpopulated, you know, as, as a people, like we're ruining this planet and people are still spitting out babies like there's no tomorrow. And it's because there's like this primal instinct to procreate and to, mm-hmm. and to keep, and you know, that's like what we're here for. It's, it's animalistic. I mean, it's not really logical mm-hmm. on any level. And so, like, it's there. Like, we are just animals. And I think that's what you're talking about with, like, this werewolf thing. It's, like, manifesting that fear of, like, that there's something primal in us that if it was to come out, maybe we couldn't control it. And I don't think most people would be able to. And, And that's kind of what's terrifying to me about it. 
I, and thank God. Yeah. Thank God most people, there's, thank God for consciousness. Thank God for conscience is what I should yeah. say. Thank God that there's that roadblock in most people's heads. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, I mean, you, this is interesting, but I, I did hear, I'm sorry, it's an aside, but it's kind of exactly what we're talking about. I mean, and, and here's the thing, okay, because I'm terrified by this thought, and I think most people are to some extent, but they don't really want to talk about this. Am I sociopathic? Like, could I be an animal? Could I be like a monster? And thank God most people couldn't. And I think, and I want to tell you something, and I want to say something that gave me a lot of reassurance. And if anybody out there is listening to this, and I, I, I feel very, like, I really feel like this is important. If there's somebody out there that's listening to this and they're saying, you know, God, I really feel like I don't know what I'm capable of. Like, I just, just listen to this analogy because this, like, gave me a lot of reassurance. Let's say you're walking, okay, so this, let's say you're walking by, by you're walking down the street and you smell like a, po- a fresh pie, like, baking in the window of a house that you're walking by, okay? Now, the average person would walk by this house and they would smell the pie and they would smell it and they would say, you know, even if they were really hungry, they'd say, wow, that smells really good, but you know what? It's not my pie and I'm going to, like, walk by it and, like, ignore it, you know? Okay, so the number two person is, like, you know, the criminal mind, okay? And he walks by the window and he says... To himself, well, that really smells delicious, but it's not my pie, and I probably shouldn't take this, but you know what the hell with it, I'm going to take it anyway, and I'm going to walk away. And so he grabs the pie, and he walks away, and that's like the criminal-like mindset, and most people wouldn't even get to that point. Now, the real, like, beasts, the real beast that you really would have to worry about is like the sociopathic personality, and they smell the pie, and they walk by the window, and it smells really good and they want it, so they go up to the window and they take it. And that's it. And they don't, there's nothing in them that feels like any amount of remorse or like guilt over it. And thank God most of us don't have that in them, in ourselves. And that's yeah, all I'm I, saying. I mean, I think, I think it's a good point because we kind of brought it up and alluded to, alluded to it earlier. I mean, with, with uh, like the priest or the preacher who we find out through the course of the movie, you know, when Marty wounds the werewolf uh, with a firework, a, a rocket, uh, it hits him in the eye. So when he explains the story to Janie about what happened to him, she goes like on this hunt through the town under the guise of that she's collecting cans for the church drive of she's going to find the person that has one eye. Um, and this is another. This is one of the few parts where the narration come. The narration comes in, and she's going through, and it's a br- really beautiful scene of like editing, great music. like great music. And we'll talk about Jay Chatterway. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's a brilliant editing job, and, and with the narration, and she's looking at people's eyes, and it's like almost montage in a certain way. And she gets done after collecting. Uh, cans and she realizes that she's gone through the whole town and she's like and then you know she's like Marty that asshole like got me all worked up <laughs> right. or whatever and she pulls into the pulls her <laughs> she pulls her you know cart into the church parking lot uh, full of cans and she goes to put them and the preacher's uh, gardening and and she goes into the back 
and she gets startled because there's a mouse, and then she sees, which we didn't really get the into. Peacemaker. She sees the peacemaker, which is a bat that plays a part in the movie where the militia, when the militia gets it, which we don't need to get too far into. <laughs> but uh, so that's her first piece of evidence. Something's a little like crazy, and then when she turns around, we see the preacher. Actually, we as an audience see the preacher beforehand, right? With one eye, with an eye, with a patch over his eye. Now, wait. Can I cut you off for a second? Do we know, now? Because I can't remember this. Are we aware that it's Reverend Low at this point, or is now that like solidifying when you see the patch over his eye that it's Reverend Low? Mm-hmm. I mean, are we aware of who? We're the, not aware that we're it's not Reverend really, but Low until because until he has the he, nightmares. I, I, Remember, he says, yeah. "Dear God, let it be over," and he has this whole like I guess guilt, you're right. dream about. You know, the, it's hard, but it's like hard. yeah. Sorry, go I was going to say you're right. I think he does. He has this nightmare. Where uh, he's uh, he's uh, giving like the funeral mass, but I'm like a moron. Yeah. I mean, I'm serious. I went to film school, and I'm supposed to know like the tropes or whatever this stuff. I still watch movies, and it's like, who done it? Like I don't like. I always <laughs> want to convince myself like I'm Sherlock Holmes. Like if, I'm like the worst detective. I, yeah. I would not. I mean, if I watched this movie like straightforward, I don't think I would have figured out it was Reverend Low even after that. But in the, in retrospect, like yeah, you can watch that scene when everybody's turning into werewolves, and he's like, "Dear God, let it be over." Yeah, yeah. And you kind of, if you were smart, you would figure it out. I think you know? you're right. You know, it's it's funny because we were talking about we did another uh, cast that'll be posted at some point if it's not already. Like I said, I don't know what order we're gonna end up posting these in. But um, where we talked about like nowadays, like trying to rewatch movies with fresh eyes, and that's like right. a, that's like that's exactly what you're talking about here. And I never really thought about it because I've, you know, as far back as I can remember, I've always known that it's Reverend <laughs> Low. Rev- so uh, that's a very good point. <laughs> Wait, I wonder. I figured it. I wonder yeah. if that's I, that's true. Like because I already knew. Like it totally didn't occur to me, but yeah, he has this nightmare where, that he's attacked by werewolves, and I guess there's a chance you could think that it's just kind of like some kind of paranoia of what's going on or whatever. But I guess you're right. I think that like it does really tip that you off. That dream is like definitely signifying something is up with this guy. <laughs> I mean, you and know, as we talked about, which is where we're, it's just like kind of where I'm going. Um, but needless to say, my point of the story was oh, that she so. turns around, she sees that he's got the eye patch, and all of a sudden, like, they know, we know, it's solidified, Reverend Lowe is the werewolf. And now, where I was going, which was connecting it to your, uh, your story about, like, psychopaths and stuff, is that, for the most part, and it's interesting you bring up the dream sequence, because it's what I turned to you when that screen sequence comes. I was like, this is the only moment we see that he has any kind of like remorse he did. or regret. I do remember, yes. Or regret over it. Because other than that, as we kind of brought up earlier, which is, I think what's interesting about this take on the werewolf story, because we're talking about fear of like identity and fear of like self and what we're capable of mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. And a lot of werewolf movies attack it from that angle, like American Werewolf in London mm-hmm. or like Monster Squad with like the Wolfman and that. It's like, lock me Thank up. You. Yeah. You know, yes. like they're tor- like a, the werewolves, werewolves are often portrayed as being like tormented by like tormented. this curse yeah. that they like this, that they have to bear and uh they're just waiting for like the sweet relief of like yes. a silver yes. bullet you know yes. um because they're human and they're they they 
are horrified by what they're capable of and what they're doing when, like, when the full moon's out. But that's what's kind of interesting about this movie is there isn't that. One, he's not the main character. But two, that dream sequence is, like we said, like the only even inclination right. that he has any kind of regret right. about this. Right. Because other than that, he's like, that, that woman, she was going to kill herself. Right. I saved her right. soul. Right. You know, he's going after like the bad you know, people in town. Um, which is interesting, though, not to cut you off, but which is interesting because that confession that he makes on the bridge where he says she was going to kill herself and I was saving her life eternal would could feed into the theory that Marty proposes where as the moon yeah. is fuller, he becomes more of a werewolf, whereby sure. his like pathology is changing so that he... Is, has less remorse and less of a conscience over what exactly it is that he's doing. Yeah. Maybe that dream he has is in the middle of the month. Where he's like, True. I'm not so much a werewolf and like, holy, holy cow, I'm a monster. But by that point where he's on the bridge, it's like, I'm now a vicious like lunatic. And like, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah. No, like, I, I agree know. because it starts off like, it does kind of start off like he's, he's a werewolf early in the month, early in the movie. Yeah. Um, and he's killing, like he's like we said, the woman is going to kill herself. And then as like the nights go on, if you're going to go for for you listening that don't know the movie so well, uh, Janie and Marty propose this theory to uh, Uncle Red that a werewolf in this case, because it's happening uh, multiple nights, not just one night, that maybe a werewolf isn't only a werewolf on a full moon. But it's like a scale, and that he's most werewolf on a full moon. Right. But may but there are you know there's like a degradation as like which each consecutive night he becomes more the beast, and so I think that's a good point because then as those nights go on, he kills Gr- Brady for yeah. like no reason. He kills the kid. Right. You know, like right. maybe the beast is starting to take over, and like, that excuse that he's doing it for like god's will is starting to fade away <laughs> right as as he's becoming more animal that becomes weaker and weaker that argument yeah right brady yeah what crime did he yeah, i know he's just exactly? flying his kite my god he loves that <laughs> i mean yeah he, he, he sure he teased yeah. Janie right and made I mean, her rip her I, I hardly think that's a reason to rip somebody <laughs> to pieces you know what i mean <laughs> my god <laughs> yeah. um Review-wise, this movie has like 50% whatever on Rotten Tomatoes. So it's like a real split when it comes to like what people feel about this movie. I don't know what the general consensus is about it. All I can say is that like I really love this movie. Oh, I love it too. I love it for its innocence. I mean, I will tell you one thing about uh, this: the reviews of this movie. Uh, Roger Ebert? Yeah wrote a review that is absolutely hysterical about this movie, which basically, like, he he says in the review, I don't know if I'm, like, speaking out of turn on this, but I'm just going to go with the idea that this movie has its tongue in its cheek. Yeah, yeah. Like, with the script. And there's one moment... He says he is watching this movie, and there's a moment in the movie where he really couldn't believe that this line of dialogue was delivered. And it's in that part when... The woman, when they're tracking the beast yeah, through yeah, the fog, yeah. and she says, are you going to make lemonade in your pants? Yeah, yeah. And 
Roger Ebert said, like, I laugh right out loud by that. And I, I, I said to myself, like, no one could possibly write that line of dialogue without having some, like, motive of just, like, satire that's, like, beyond me. And then, like, you know, and this is the thing. In the screenplay, it's not just, are you making lemonade in your pants? It's like, would you like a side of chocolate to go with that? <laughs> and so King writes like that like yeah, yeah. i love stephen king but yeah no i think roger Ebert is wrong about this i don't think he's like fooling around and not and moreover i do think people talk like that and i think he wouldn't have written that if there weren't people that he knew in like northern maine yeah but yeah. like talked like that and so i know I, I think it's like hilarious that roger Ebert. i mean that's fine because it is funny yeah, i mean yeah. in fact there's a lot of stuff in stephen king about like people urinating and shitting in their pants and like really colorful ways of putting that but i think there's truth in that i do think like people i don't think that's so far-fetched but my point is that um it's earnest and i think like there's a part of people that want to push that away because because it might be too like we were saying at the beginning, naive or sure. you know, innocent or something. It's you definitely know? it definitely is that those things in a way that horror movies probably especially for nineteen eighty five weren't. Right. You know, it really is like this drama happening. And I think that happens a lot in Stephen King. Um I assume the books, but if you look at the movies, I mean, like Cujo, for instance, is like this family drama that is then like propelled into this horrific situation. Right. And I think that is what's going on here. And it's it's a much stronger part of the story in this than perhaps that movie. But um, it's it's just this like beautiful melodrama. Right. And, like, there's this scene, like, before he gets chased by Reverend Lowe, there's, like, the scene of, like, this kid, right. Marty, our main character, yeah. sitting in a wheelchair watching kids play baseball. Yeah. Yes. And we see, like, these shots of, like, running legs. And it's just, it's, like, heart, it, totally yeah. heartbreaking. It's yeah. this kid who just fucking wants to be a kid. Yeah. Yeah. But he's shackled to the to these this wheelchair, and how often we take for granted the fact that we can like tumble and like trip. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's like, oops, yeah, like yeah. an accident. And like all he wants to do is to be able to have like even a clumsy set of sure. legs. You know, I mean, it's just so heartbreaking. And like he like rides in his motorized wheelchair this girl home from school, and she tells him that she hears things in like the greenhouse. And she's scared, and he looks at it, and there's like a step right. to get into the greenhouse. And he says, "Well, you know, yeah. well, the silver bullet doesn't do so good in the mud, or else yeah. I'd go check it out." Yeah. And she's like, "You would, wouldn't you?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah." But it's like this: like he does want to go check it out, <laughs> right? You know, he wants to be right. like heroic. Like to Marty her. had legs, he would be like freaking, you know. Kurt Russell in a skate, you know, he's like a, <laughs> like wild wet. That guy, all bets would be off. If Murray had legs, yeah, all bets would be off. Especially after like the experience he had, yeah. And then like the you know this, 
at the beginning of the movie, Marty, his friend uh, Brady, scares his sister, and she's all dressed real nice for like this uh, town event that they're having. And she falls and she rips her her hose, like her pantyhose or whatever, and. It's just like the, the heart, just like touching scene, touching yeah, scene. So touching. She yeah. and then she ends up falling in the mud, and uh, then like in the middle of the night, he kind of rolls into her room and he puts money on her nightstand. Right. He's like, "I hope this is enough." And she's yeah. like, "What is it for?" And she's like, "It's to buy you new yeah. hose." Like, is it enough money? Yeah. And then she gets like, the change. And he's like, please take it. Yeah. Like, I want to yeah. make up. Like, please take yeah. it. And she looks at it. She's like, well, I can get a pair of leggings yeah. from, from like, and it's like, pharmacy. And I love that part because it's like, she's, by doing that to me, it's like, she's, a, she's accepting his apology, but moreover, she's kind of being like, I don't know, not taking him for a ride or something. Yeah, like, yeah. Hey, you know. I mean, it's just so tender. It's like, you know, my God, like if we could all, <laughs> if we could all somehow be that way with each other, like the world would be a better place. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's like, you know, you wronged me, but I'm going to accept your apology and I'm going to like, I'm going to cut you a break here. <laughs> like I can, I can yeah, get, a, yeah. get a pair of legs. Of the, I mean, it's amazing. It's just, it's, it's so touching. Yeah. I mean, like the movie started and we say this a lot as like throughout the years we've said it with Neon Maniacs and other movies. Right. Like I said, like as we're watching this movie, like I almost like, I almost wish the werewolf wouldn't show up. Yeah. What kind know? of a movie would it be? It would almost be like a after school special. Yeah, yeah. You know, which but it's we like, both love. Which yeah. we both love yeah. that kind of thing. And then as like we kind of pointed out as we're watching it, it's really the werewolf that brings them together right. in the end. So, in the end. So it is like a, the werewolf plays a very important yeah. part of their arc. Which together. is really kind of a profound question because it's like without adversity, where would any of us be to some extent? I mean, let's say everything was simplistic and like everybody got what they wanted i mean how close would any of us really be to each other i mean is it just adversity that kind of brings people together and like branches i mean look at the country you know and not to get now this is so in the weeds but i mean you know star man you 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 know he says that to karen allen like i find you fascinating because you're at your best when you your circumstances are at their worst yeah yeah Fucking true. I know. <laughs> I mean, I'm know. sorry. It's like it, it another another so like, true. Yeah. My moment. God. Like has any has there been anything like crystallized like more exact than that? And it, it's so great. It's so movie. true. Great I love that movie. movie. I'm like getting, that movie. I'm getting like teary eyed yeah. just thinking about it. <laughs> My God. But it's just like <laughs> very emotional yeah, uh, oh, Sunday man. night movie yeah. sleepover. Yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's Sunday. It, right. It's almost two o'clock. It's Sunday night. It's an interesting, you know, but the good thing is, Blake, you're here experiencing this, whereas normally I would be experiencing this level of like, (laughs) by myself, you know, so it's like, at least now you're sharing in the, you know, it's like, it's wonderful. And, uh, you know, before we wrap things up, we would be remiss to mention uh, the great score by Jay Chataway. A man that uh, that Dave and I are, are yeah. uh, have always been very fond oh, yeah. of, best known probably by horror fans as being the man that scored the great 1980 Maniac, Maniac. by Bill Lustig, starring Joe Spinell, which which Deanna, Deanna and I, which we right. Deanna and I did a podcast yes. on. So 
you can check that out. Yeah. Um, one thing I've always said about Jay Chataway, and it's we've talked us talking about film music and us talking about Jay Chataway is like Jay Chataway. We've always described as the horror composer who's all heart. And for yes. a, and for like a movie for a horror movie that's all heart, <laughs> like you kind of couldn't have had a better composer. It was perfect <laughs> in a way, right? Yeah, and it's yeah. interesting to think of that composer with Maniac, which I'm sure you discussed. Yeah, yeah. But in a way, it's kind of the reason that movie has that heart. Yeah, and, yeah. But now the marriage is like, yeah, the movie with heart and Jay Chataway. So it's kind of like, right, it's like a good... You know, not that it's not good in Maniac, but yeah, it's yeah. definitely... Uh, well, they, it's a very, yeah. Maniac's a very different film, and there right. is a, a, an asserted effort by, by Spinell and Lustig to kind of generate like this sympathy right. for for uh, Frank Zito, I think exactly. his character's name yes. is through like and that's and, and I'm sorry, but that's the interesting thing because that's what we were talking about before with people who like acquiesce to the demon and yeah, yeah. now so now they're with the demon and now you make the movie and it's like how do you handle that right? You can either make a movie with like the demon where it's just like you know this person's evil and which, or you could do a movie like Maniac which is just kind of like but that's a different movie I'm just saying that it's interesting because they're he, I mean if you want to go flip side of the same coin you could right? yeah if, totally you, you could know, look at it like he is a, he is a monster within you know Instantly in that movie, and we're not going to get on like this, this huge maniac tangent, but there's like the, there's instances where like he kills somebody and then feels like instant disgust. remorse and disgust yeah, over with it. himself. Yeah. Um, but it's like there's this monster that he can't control within him, which is the total parallel to this. But um, Chataway, uh, known by nerds and geeks, probably most because he worked on all of the post-original series Star Trek series. Yes, he which I am, by the way. I realize this. I am I'm a geek and a nerd. And I'm yeah. just... I mean, totally, you know, me I'm too. Out, I'm just going to say, that's it. I've, I've come out now as a geek <laughs> and a nerd. Like, I finally... It's a, this, I took this... I don't know what happened to me over the last two days, but yeah, I'm finally... But anyway, Star it? Trek the next year. Oh, I'm, I'm accepting it. I'm yeah, a long, like I'm a long time self. Yeah. Oh, yeah, good, good. Okay, you know, fine. it's definitely. Yeah. I don't say those words. Yeah. With... I, I tried to think I was cool in my mind for a while. But there's nothing cool about me. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, say, just, I, know. I say those words with like pride, not, okay. not as like a negative okay. thing. Right. Um, but yeah, he he worked on Next Generation and Voyager, and he did a, he did music for all those uh, Next Gen and on nice. Star Trek scenes. Also, um, worked a lot in like National Geographic specials and like right. underwater specials. There's this, there is this, with Chataway, there is this thing of like exploration, <laughs> you know, and you can make, you could easily make this like a uh, leap from exploration of space and Star Trek, exploration of the earth and, and the yes. wild and the, and the sea in National <laughs> Geographic, exploration of like the human psyche yeah. in like these horror yeah, movies. Definitely. Um, uh, Definitely, and uh, I I had the privilege of of having a 
wonderful long conversation with Jay Chadway a, a while told, back. Told the audience like where he was or where he was, where he came from, <laughs> or what was it? it was like this was speaking of exploration. Oh Chadway was sailing when I first contacted him. He was sailing down the west coast of America into into Mexico. Sailing down the west coast <laughs> of America into Mexico, like seriously, right? It's like you think about the kind of music he writes, and then Jay Chataway with his wife, with like the white sail like <laughs> flapping behind him. I mean, I, from Pittsburgh, <laughs> a Pittsburghian, oh yeah, Pittsburgh. Holy cow! But yeah. uh, he had some interesting things to say about this movie. Like one of the aspects of the film, and I don't even know if you can really recognize it when you listen to it. But he went. To like, uh, like uh, I don't remember if it was like a wildlife commune or whatever, but he went and recorded all these wolves, like howling and wolf sound, and then put them into like the synthesizer and, like, for the movie. Yeah, movie. and mod- <laughs> so there's like within, within the the music there is augmented wolf, wolf sounds, howls. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Like really, like synthesized wolf <laughs> synthesis or something. Yeah, it's like a new form. Um, of, yeah, my God. Uh, he Incredible. also talked about. I believe he talked about allegedly. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but if I recall correctly, he talked a lot about how the original concept of this movie was for it to be like PG, <laughs> and then somewhere suddenly yeah. it became, you know, De Laurentiis was like. We need to start chopping heads. We need to, he- <laughs> we need to yeah. chop heads off. Yes. We need to do this. Um, and as you watch it, I feel like you can kind of see that there is like this disconnect between, <laughs> between the like, violence yeah. and the heart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, but Jay Chataway, great dude. Like, couldn't have had a yeah. better time talking to somebody. Yeah. Uh, we talked for like two and a half hours about his career. How can a man really be difficult to talk to and write music like that? I mean, I, that's you know, true. I mean, that's it's a, like you listen to his music. It's like I'm not, I, I can't imagine this guy being a dick. <laughs> it's like you imagine like writing music. I mean, I'm just be like a prick. It's like yeah, no, it's like, yeah, t- totally, but uh, generous and like I totally. I would say that like. I've had the honor of interviewing a lot of really great people and a lot of really great musicians uh, for various blogs and websites and magazines and whatnot throughout the years. And um, there are certain times when you interview somebody where there's this like instant chemistry, for the lack of a better term, where it's not like you're interviewing somebody for something. It more feels like you're talking to a friend and that's what talking to Jay Chataway wow. was like. That's cool. Like, I talked to him for, like, two hours or whatever. And, uh, you know, he, a lot of it was, like, talking because I'm a blues musician. A lot of it was, like, talking about the blues and just t- chatting. But just the two of us had nothing to do with the interview. It was like he wanted to know about me, me wanting to know <laughs> about awesome. him, talking about New York, we're talking about this, <laughs> we're talking about that. And then there'd be like the interview was happening out of in between those little conversations. Um, awesome guy. Uh, and it was obviously a thrill because you and I have been a fan of his oh, for, God. for yeah, decades. Yeah, Maniac, the soundtrack. And in fact, I had one of his National Geographic things. I don't know what, or maybe it was like, one of the specials he did was like Space and Beyond. Yeah, yeah. I love that. He also yeah. did like, he did things for like Jacques Cousteau, like Underwater. Oh, wow. Uh, a brilliant uh, composer, arranger, um, producer, and all that stuff. So, if, as we said, like, you listen to that score, and 
perfect. Maniac mouth. was terrifying to me. I mean, I, I remember like my brother was like Steve is kind of the one who discovered that, but it was kind of his music that that made me that drew me into it. And uh, likewise in Silver Bullet, you know, not so much, but. Yeah. When I found out that Chataway was the, the score, <laughs> I was like, like oh, oh, yeah. My God. Yeah. Like, this guy's <laughs> great. Like, wow. Yeah. No. So it was like a nice, but like exactly what you said a perfect marriage. Perfect marriage between, like, yeah. Do you remember the first time you saw uh, Silver, Silver Bullet? Bullet? Yeah. Um, that's an interesting, that's actually a really interesting question. Uh, I want to say, like, the first time I saw Silver Bullet was the way it should be seen in the context of Sunday night movie sleepovers, <laughs> which is, yeah. I'm pretty sure the first time I saw Silver Bullet was, like, TBS, like, Saturday afternoon or something. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm almost positive of something like that. It sure, was, like, sure. classic. Yeah. Like, I'm a kid and like this movie is on like and it's on like cable TV and that's awesome yeah like, yeah as was most of the movies that I got really into like at you know that came out in this time TV was a lot more generous back then yeah, I feel like yeah. it was just like you know it was more of the wild west or something now it's very restricted like now we're gonna play this for this audience it was a less it's about like F, like, you don't really have you don't have cable but like if you watch at least right now at the time of this cast and all summer like the, there's a channel called fx oh yeah which is like i think a fox i like, like cable channel. yeah but like that channel has literally been the marvel's avengers channel for all summer. Like, <laughs> yeah. every time i turn yeah. fx on like Marvel's Avengers. Guys, watch on. FX. Yeah, Marvel <laughs> Avengers. Yeah, no, back then they were kind of, I felt like they were just throwing everything at the wall. It was like, you know, like, hey, you know what? Maybe we should put on Toxic Zombies. It's 12 <laughs> o'clock on a Saturday, like in the afternoon. Like, yeah, the yeah. kids will love this. <laughs> you know, it was like, it was just way my, out of the wild. Place. My story of Silver Bullet is, I guess, somewhat similar. I don't know if you remember. Uh, my house in Waterford. But I lived in this development where you would enter, you would turn into the development and then there was this long road and then it would go to this long hill. Like, re- like I, I'd say, I don't know, a, a quarter of a mile long hill. And it would go all the way down this hill and along one side of that hill was woods. And the other side was like two houses along that hill. So nice. it was pretty sparse and and when you got to the bottom of that hill there was basically a circle like a like a block just like a regular like circular block but that's how you got to so like if you were like looked at it from like a bird's eye view like in a helicopter you would look down it would probably look like a p you know it'd be the road would come down long straight and then go to like this round circle and i lived at the bottom of the hill along this round circle. A friend of mine that I went to school with lived at the very top of the hill, like the first house, if you went up the hill, he was like the first house on the right. Not like the first house at the end of the road when you turn into development, but right before you get to that hill. So I was over his house on a weeknight or like a Sunday night or Saturday night. This is like, I don't mean to cut you off, but this is sounding like so idyllic in terms of like a suburban story that there should have been a werewolf like breaking down the front door of this kid's house. <laughs> well, that's where, yeah. I'm, that's where I'm going. Okay. <laughs> uh, and, uh, 
And it wasn't like a late night. It was like I was there and then I had to go home and it was autumn or something. And so like it was getting dark really early. I was there and I don't know what we were waiting for or whatever, but his parents were watching this movie on like TBS or something. And so I was like sitting there and watching this. So I sat here and watched this movie uh, at this kid's house. And then when it was over, I had to go home. And I had to walk. Sun was gone. I had to walk home. It was dark. Wow. And so I'm walking down the hill. It didn't seem scary then. Now it seems scary. (laughs) So I'm walking down this hill. And the woods are like almost within reach. Like I could almost, you know, like four feet off the road is like just all woods. And I'm walking down the hill, and I just remember I was so scared. So scared, in fact, that, like, I don't know if you've ever tried to run down a hill, but, like, you, like, lose control because the momentum, you know. And, like, there was a point where, like, I started running because I was so scared. (laughs) And, like, I almost, like, fell down this long hill because, like, I almost lost control running down. But that's, like, my first memory of watching this movie. And it's almost, like, you're, like... You kind of pointed out it's almost like the perfect memory for watching this yeah. movie. Yeah, actually, um, I think that might be the best story ever. <laughs> like, I'm not sure I would ever hear a better story about Silver Bullet or why someone would like that movie. I mean, that's I feel like I want to make that memory my own. <laughs> well, you, you know, can just ta- live like you, vicariously. You can take it. it. You yeah, can nice. take that that's memory. Um, so this movie's always stuck in my head. And then uh, in recent years, I just kind of like rediscovered it and just completely fell in love with it. And I think I even told you one time, I said, Dave, if you, in my mind, if like you were a movie, it would be Silver Bullet. (laughs) I think you might have said that to my brother and then he told me that and I was so flattered by that. It was like, my God, he thinks I'm that like pure of heart. That's like, it's a beautiful thing. And there's just like, I don't know, like I can't. I can't like watch this movie and not think of you yeah. for some reason. Well, it's funny because I can't watch the movie and not think of like yeah, our like you, me, and my brother. Yeah, it's like yeah. yeah, it's just very like a communal, like it's just beautiful. I mean, it's just it's the perfect yeah, it's the perfect sleepover movie. Yeah, I know. It's like per- it's so. I mean, that's why we ended up doing this cast is because we decided we were going to watch it. We were going to watch the visitor. Uh, <laughs> that looked like liquid insanity. I mean, I, I literally I watched the trailer for that and I felt I felt like I was tripping. 1980 yeah. film with Lance Henriksen and like John Huston and Sam Peckinpah. We watched the trailer. We were gonna watch that movie, and then I don't know. We stumbled upon Silver Bullet, and we we're like, "Fuck it, let's watch Silver Bullet." I don't need that kind of madness in my head right now. I mean, maybe if you want to come back, we do the Visitor. But like, I, I, I you know, this is like you know, the Silver Bullet's about like all. I could hand left the growlers. I mean, it was like, you know. Yeah, we, 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 spent, a, we yeah. spent a long afternoon. Like a lot about Carpenter. Yeah, it was like yeah. enough's enough. You know? So we had a long day of yeah. talking about uh, things and drinking beer. Good and long day, right? Like uh, yeah. breakfast, Target for three hours, <laughs> like walking around Target aimlessly. Looking at DVDs like, looking and at stuff. I, I, actually, I told Blake this. My new favorite thing, I think, is loitering. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I was not a big believer in loitering, but now I feel like part of it I like because you just get to talk to people. 
Sure. But the other part is I think I just like annoying people, like, <laughs> you know, like like store people, you know, just like, what, what are you, like, why are you not buying anything? I'm going to love that. You know? So yeah. we had this long day and we yeah. decided to finish this day with watching Silver Bullet. And when it was done, even though the original intention for these quote unquote side casts was to do something outside our regular format. Um, I hope Dion isn't offended, but we ended up doing this something that's really close to a regular Saturday Night Movie Sleepover. But whether this becomes a sidecast or a very special edition of Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, it seemed like... I'm not taking the place of Dion. Dion, like, it's you and Dion. Like, look, anytime Blake comes down, he's more than welcome to, like, we'll do something for this podcast. But it's, it's, you know... It's very special. I just special felt edition. like it was going to be a missed opportunity if we if we watched this movie and then we didn't record us talking about call. it. It's because as call. much as I love Dion, like I said, this movie in my head is linked to you. Yeah. So I thought like, okay, we watched it. We might as well talk about it. It was a good call. And so we're going to say good night. Thank you. For, Thank uh, you very much. I actually had a really good time talking about this movie. Uh, as always, you can catch us at uh, our regular website is saturdaysleepovers.podwits.com. That's saturdaysleepovers.podwits, P-O-D-W-I-T-S.com. Uh, we're on Facebook, growing community of Facebook. We have a good time talking about movies. Um, we're getting a lot of requests to do podcasts about movies, which is going to be fun. We're going to start trying to do some requests after we have a we have a big Halloween. Uh, the gate. Mu- <laughs> the gate. Do the gate. Do the gate. Do the gate, please. Would love to do the gate. I will do the most sleepover movie of all time of all sleepover <laughs> movies, probably. Um, so we're gonna we're having a great time. Check us on Facebook. Uh, check us out on uh, t- uh, Twitter. I think it's uh, at Sat Sleepovers. Um, but you can go to our website again, uh, saturdaysleepovers.podwits.com, and we have links to our Facebook, Twitter. We're on iTunes, where you can listen to us and, and subscribe to us on iTunes. We're on Player FM. You can listen to us, stream us there. Stitchers, I guess, it really is also is getting is a really popular. We're now on Stitcher. On the website itself, you can hit play and listen to us on the website, or you can right click and save as and download it to your computer, put it on your iPad, iPad, iPod, MP3 player, or whatever. Um, you can check out my music at uh, jblakeblues.com. And uh, I guess that's it. Uh, Peace be with com- you. Coming to you from the yes. nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Very. Should have done No Way Out or something. <laughs> conspiratorial. Right? It's a late... Sunday night, creeping into Monday morning is going to, as me and Dion always joke with, you know, pretty soon as we get older, it's going to stop being Saturday night movie sleepovers. It's going to end up being Sunday morning sleepovers. <laughs> and uh, this is, uh, this is turning into a Monday morning yeah, my God. Uh, oh, my sleepover. God. Labor day. And uh, that's it. I want to thank Dave for yeah, being a part of the you. show. Blake, thanks for inviting me, man. I appreciate being a part of this. I hope Absolutely. you. There's a lot of fun. I hope you guys enjoy listening and, uh, you know, subscribe, write reviews, messages us on Facebook. Let us know what's going on, what you like, what you want us to do. And as always, uh, watch movies. Movies are good. Definitely. Later. <laughs>